welcome to this Expert Insights CD. I'm Donna Hanson from Prime Solutions Training and Consulting. Our Expert Insights CD series is designed to give human resources professionals access to the latest trends, ideas, philosophies and approaches that impact on how organisations manage, retain, engage and recruit staff. We know that HR and L&D roles are all-encompassing and that it's often hard to find the time to step outside your world and explore what's happening in other organisations. Prime's Expert Insights CDs are designed to provide you with concise information on topics relevant to you on a regular basis in a format that maximises your time and keeps you up to date with current trends in the industry. In this Experts Insights CD, we speak with Angelica Mystica, CEO of HR Division. HR Division is a company that is focused on supporting and servicing businesses across the Asia-Pacific region to deliver safe work strategy solutions, and we'll learn a bit more about those today. Angelica and her HR Division team are passionate about saving companies money in workers' compensation and making life easier in looking after employees. Welcome, Angelica. Why don't you tell us how you came to be a specialist in work cover? Thank you, Donna. Thank you for welcoming me. I really appreciate the opportunity. How did I actually come about? Well, I'll give you a short story um, into it. Um, I was actually, when I first uh, finished my second degree, I was working, at, I got my job as a chief social worker at East Gippsland. Unfortunately, because working with older people, they were dying. But I realised I could actually transfer the skills I have in occupational rehab. So I became an occupational rehab advocate. And in that field, I recognised that workers' compensation was really all for employees. No one is looking after the employer. Mm. Again, I transferred that skill into uh, looking after employees and became an employer advocate. So I rechanneled my energy in looking after employers. I guess that's really a different approach to what you'd find with um, most work cover type organisations that we focused on the process, the box ticking, but it sounds like yours is a little more around strategy and, and, and quite tactical in, in what you do to help, uh, help work with, um, with teams. Absolutely. So my philosophy is that, if I can yeah, share that with you, the philosophy is, that is looking after you know, which is the number one. And at this point, for me, it's employer, because I believe if employers are looked after, they've got someone to advocate for and, you know, uh, represent their rights and advocate for, for their rights, the employees will be looked after. It's like being a new mum. You know, being a new mum, you become so overwhelmed uh, with the role, mm. you know. And if you feel that you're alone, it becomes become overwrought, you become distressed. I guess too in a lot of organisations there might already be uh, a work cover department. I guess it depends on the type of industry you're in, whether it's a, um, a manufacturing environment or a service-based industry. Mm -hmm. uh, but you'll often find you know, there's, there's something existing, but often it can escalate if there's an issue. So yeah. we'll talk a little more about that. Yes. I know that many of our listeners no doubt already have staff or teams yes. that look after some of that document. Um, can you share with us some of the common things that a lot of the clients that you talk to don't know about the work cover system and, and what they should know? Okay. I want to share with you two important things that could have a dramatic impact on their premium, if that's because there's a whole raft of things. Okay. But I really want to focus on something that they can do immediately. Fantastic. And one of them is actually reporting their remuneration on time. 
Ah. It is so important about when you increase your remuneration because people, we hire throughout the year. Yep. So we need to inform work cover, that is the insurance company, on that um, increase in remuneration. Because what can happen is if they fail to report, not about the timing, but the ratio of the increase is more than 20% or it hit the 20% threshold, they can actually get fined. Wow. So uh, the, the first thing that could be just an easy fix is just monitoring and, and keeping track of the fact that, you know, your organisation uh, has expanded, you've got more staff, and Absolutely. I guess, uh, you know, that's that's why uh, people like you are around. But, yeah, I, I imagine that that's a way, or that's one thing that probably costs a lot of organisations a lot of money. Absolutely. So I've got a, a client recently. Now... I won't name the client, obviously, but then at least I can give you some details. Their premium is actually only three thousand five dollars. They actually re didn't report the increase on time of that ratio. It, it may, I think, it just got hit on the twenty something percent. Mm -hmm. When they receive an adjustment, their adjustment was one thousand five hundred and seventy nine dollars. Wow. So they had to pay an additional $1,000 on top of the $3,000 that they'd already paid. Because part, in part, so they didn't realise, they actually, that, in that premium adjustment, there was a built-in fine because of the... The percentage allocation that it was heading up towards that 20% right, right on the threshold. Yes. So I guess it's okay if maybe you've got, um, you know... Um, maybe your remunerations around the million dollar mark or two million dollar mark, whatever it might be, and um, you end up having, uh, you know, one extra person that you bring on at, say, 50,000, but the minute you start to bring two, three or four of those people on, um, then you really need to have an awareness. And I guess as HR managers, as, as a lot of our listeners are and learning and development professionals, these things are really important to know because you've got no choice in these things. You know, they slap you with a fine. Unknowingly. Yeah, yeah. Unknowingly in the premium adjustment. Yeah. And that's, I really want to hone that in because if they can do this one thing, the impact on their premium can be huge because they don't have to pay a fine unknowingly. Mm. And I guess yeah, for a lot of our listeners, you don't know what you don't know. Sometimes you just go along and you, you push the paperwork around and you do what you think is the right thing to do. And a lot of people think that you know supplying their remuneration is just oh, something that we do once a year, like when our organisation does it, some you know, end of financial year figures and all that sort of thing. But what you're suggesting is it's something that should be monitored ongoing. So Absolutely, and the law states that anyway, fairly clearly, that if you fail to, Yep. Um, they, they have the right to find you, and it's given that they will find you. Wow, wow, interesting. Yes. And you mentioned a second thing, Angelica, mm -hmm. that you really wanted to get across as being common things that people don't know about the system but should know. What, what was that one? Okay, well, one of the other things that I would actually, you know, employers to understand is that they don't realise that they've got a risk category, which is what their primary premium is paid under. Okay. They actually get reviewed on a regular basis, again unknowingly to them. Is this um, it, like the instance where a work cover assessor comes out or is this different? No, this is different. This is your work cover premium works as, you know, what they, you know, even work cover says uh, themselves, the authority themselves, that the work cover premium is a mile long. Mm -hmm. the, the, the formula is a mile long. 
It's actually in different, different level. The first part is actually what is your initial risk category. That is, what industry do you belong to? Okay, so that could be as simple as I have manufacturing versus, you know, my, my staff are traditionally office-bound or service-based, that Correct. sort of thing. Okay, yeah. That's, that's the initial. And what happens on a regular basis, you get reviewed. People get reviewed unknowingly. And they may actually be changed, again, unknowingly. So um, what sort of examples, like say my, my premiums are, are lower because I'm a service-based organisation, what could potentially put it into the space where it's, it gets reassessed as the type of business? So I'll give you an example where perhaps it's, it's more you know, stark, so to speak. Um, get a client, you know, uh, they're in the, um, providing services to the construction. Mm -hmm. So they're not in the construction, but they're providing services in the construction. Mm -hmm. They put, you know, they insert, you know, little switches in construction. That's yep. their job. Yep. So maybe like an electrician that comes in and puts. They're a not even in. an electrician. Oh wow! You know, they just visit what they service. So what had happened was, over time, they got into the construction industry. Okay, so that once they started doing more and more of that, the um, uh, Work Cover Authority um, assessed them as having moved into that industry, despite the fact that they never actually perceived themselves to be in that industry. Well, they're not really in the construction industry because they also do it in in a whole host of variety of things, a mm -hmm. whole host of variety of domestic homes, um, old homes, existing homes, refurb. But because they were doing it on a construction site. So, so in commercial that... Commercial construction Commercial site. construction. Okay, so in that instance, does, do they have any um, claim? Can they go back and, and sort of dispute that with WorkCover? There is actually a process for that disputation, absolutely. Terrific. Mm -hmm. Well, let, let's park that one and come back to that one shortly. Okay, so let's just summarise that uh, that part, Angelica. So basically, the two things you, you've given us, because I'm sure there's a million more, or we could spend days talking about this, but uh, two things that you think are common things that organisations and people in the work cover area don't necessarily know about is the fact that, firstly, you have to report your remuneration. I love that word. Remuneration <laughs> increases in a timely fashion, and there's all guidelines around, around that. Otherwise, you could be hit with a 20% fine. No, no, if, uh, if I can get... The threshold is the... What makes it a timely manner is that the 20% threshold of increase ah. ratio in your in your remuneration. Okay, and mm -hmm. the second one is the fact that you're constantly being reviewed by work cover as regard to your risk, what level of risk you are, yeah. and that you need to be careful that um, you're not seen as crossing over categories, I guess, is the best way. Okay. Absolutely, the, the risk industry. Terrific. Um, yeah, so, you know... Um, if I can just recap that, you know, clients who's actually servicing, you know, all sorts of different industries suddenly because they're doing some work in construction, commercial construction, they got, you know, Hit with um, the fine. put in their risk industry as construction. Okay, different category. Yes. Okay, yes. so, so are there any ideas or suggestions as to how to minimise that? Well, there isn't any because the insurance company have the right to review on an ongoing basis um, because it's all about their process of you know, continuous improvement under the 
uh, work cover policy. Okay. And also the, the authority would like to make sure that people are actually categorised correctly. Okay, so I guess that's the, the couple of things that come to mind there are you need to have an awareness around that. Absolutely. Both of these you need to have an awareness because I guess uh, it's, it's all about when you're aware, you know, if the issue does come up or something comes up, you can go, oh yeah, I'm, I'm aware of that and then you can take whatever action is appropriate for that. Absolutely. We, we talked about, um, you know, if you do get uh, reassessed or a fine or, or something like that and you want to dispute that. Um, how might you go about doing that? Well, there is actually, you know, um, there are a simple step, um, which is actually, you know, talking to your insurance company, obviously, um, mm -hmm. first time, but there is a, a time limit. Right. So from the date that you had given notification uh -huh. of your premium, uh, whether it's as, as a premium notice or a premium renewal or premium adjustment, you have 60 days. Okay, so 60 days from when you get a letter back from them that says... Here's your here. premium adjustment or right. here's your premium renewal. Okay, yes. Because the actual recategorisation or recategorization yep. of that risk industry can happen at any point in time mm. that is unknowingly to you. Know, to you. Yep. And if that comes up, then they'll send you a notification and it'll basically say, we've done a... Uh, no, they no don't need to. There isn't anything in the law says that they need to give you notification that we have reassessed. So they don't send you out a notification for additional payment or anything like that? It if is it goes what up? that's called the adjustment. Ah. That is the notification of adjustment. So okay. what you receive from WorkCover or from your, on behalf of WorkCover, from your insurance company are premium renewal, um, premium payment, premium adjustment, okay. premium notification. Okay, and traditionally the adjustment, depending on the size of the business and the amount of remuneration, um, may be, um, you know, at the end of a year, most definitely, or um, it can, it can as you advise come, the adjustment? Yeah, absolutely, as you advise the adjustment. But for a lot of people, obviously, because they don't actually report on an ongoing basis, it comes just at the end of the previous premium. Right, okay. okay. So, but I would like to actually go back to the point and say, okay, how do we dispute that? I said, the yeah. first thing is that you said you got that 60 days is to contact the insurance company. Okay. Now, it becomes incredibly <coughs> complex here because I would like just to you know, relay um, a story about in a business owner who is in my, um, in my business group where he actually went to his insurance company directly because he had received obviously either a premium renewal or an adjustment um, about it and um, he said oh no I think you know this is wrongly you know categorized mm -hmm. um, and I want to talk to you about it thank you very much so they did he had a discussion with them and what had happened was he received another notification of adjustment and it got increased to 25 percent. So he, he went in trying to negotiate thinking if he spoke to them about you know his situation all this sort of stuff and he actually had the reverse happen so rather than them taking on board what he's saying whether it's you know correct or not correct according to you know their interpretation um, and the result was his premium actually went up. Yes. Further. Yes. Further 25 percent. Oh, wow. From that original. And really, most organisations don't necessarily create a provision for this sort of thing, do they? No, they don't. That's, and also, work cover changes, its ratio, risk category changes every year. 
Mm. So it's very difficult to really, you know, budget for it. Now that is a huge frustration for businesses and business owners. So um, you could dispute it yourself. What other options are available to business owners? And I, I guess it depends upon the resources you've got within your organisation mm -hmm. as to what you can do. But That's you know, right. with with some of the larger organisations that you work with, what are the sorts of things that um, you've seen them do or that they do do? Well, one of the things that I do, I think there, there is a recognition of the complexity of the process in itself, and like you've just indicated, Donna, the interpretations of things of what how you do your business can be so different from work cover um, and also in interpretation of the policy of the work cover. What I suggest to people, and it's like you know, going to court, you don't represent yourself. Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, because if you do, you know, if you don't know the machinations, um, you know, you, you, represent, you become to represent, you know, you're the client as well as you're representing yourself. It's very difficult to have two head spaces at the yeah. same time. So similarly, you know, we, you know, when you're going through the disputation process with your insurance company, it's better to have a third eye, I think. It is better to have that third eye, Donna, because you don't, you know, you simply can explain what it is what you do. And that third eye actually translated in the semantics and the language that the work cover authority wants it in that particular box. Yeah, regardless of how much you want to deliver the message in a particular way, often you'll find these authorities, they only want to accept it in one fashion. And uh, unless you can present it in that format, they're not prepared to entertain it. Absolutely. And it's really great if that format is static. Absolutely, then it's easy. This is the box A and box B. Unfortunately, they change those definitions, you know, constant enough and regular enough that it can get, I can sometimes, you know, get confused. So, you know, I have to, we have to constantly look up what they're saying, how they're saying it, how the Lord interpreted, that is how court has interpreted, you know, certain words, certain semantics. That's all great, Angelica. So uh, another thing that you've got is you've trademarked safe work strategy solution. Is this a process? Can you tell us a little more about this, um, this solution that you've got? Mm. The safe work strategy, um, it is a process. It's, it is a combination of an immersion and an audit. So it's a combination of that, um, as well as a functional industrial analysis of the business. Wow, sounds complex. <laughs> it has some, because it is a multi-layered, you know, safety is not a single-layered process in the business. It's multi-layered because there's the management, there's a function of, of the business, there's a, the operation of the business. It's, it's about how you do what you do mm -hmm. in terms of functions and in terms of tasks because it's between those tasks and functions where the risks are. So what we look at, we look at in, in line of what are the unnecessary risks that are created in the operational functions within the functions of the business, within the tasks of the business, of how they do their job. And I mean, in a lot of instances, if you've got a manufacturing environment, I guess some of those um, risks would be fairly obvious risks, but they're often, would they be harder to spot? I imagine they would be harder to spot in a service-based business or a business where primarily staff are office-bound. Um, it's an interesting thing, you know, uh, part of the things we know what we already know, but the other thing is that, you know, we you know when you go to a particular, you know, when you go to your house, you know subconsciously what are the markers to say you're close to your home. Mm -hmm. The same thing when you do your, you know, in, a, in an office space. You know how to sit, you know, you know where your desks and everything else, but it's an interesting 
thing is that that sitting posture can create an unnecessary risk in relation to how you've actually set up your, your, your visual, dis visual display unit. So your computer and your things com like yeah, that. Your, yeah, it's a computer screen that you actually, your, your keyboards, your mouse. That's where what we call looking at those from the set of eyes of looking at from unnecessary risk. So I guess um, for a lot of organisations, uh, you know, the, the cost associated with um, physical risk like that uh, in a manufacturing environment are fairly obvious. And I think people, you know, with uh, TV ads, etc., are quite well educated as to, you know, not only the the um, impact on the employee if there is an issue where they sustain a physical injury in a manufacturing type environment, but the flow-on effects and the additional costs. But do you think um, in the workplace often uh, if you've got desk-bound people or some of those less um, injurious things that still cause a physical industry but aren't... Um, aren't uh, actioned by a piece of equipment, for example, uh, tend to be minimised a little more in the workplace? It's interesting where statistics actually shown that office-bound do have physical injuries of shoulder and neck mm. uh, and upper back mm. um, and sometimes lower back. And that is actually, um, you know, not, I'm sure you've heard of the occupational overuse syndrome, you know, the, um, the risks injury, um, and hand injury uh, from, you know, RSI. Absolutely, yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. The repetitive strain injury in the office work is actually quite high. So there are physical injury, again, um, because of, you know, manufacturing is so obvious of the physical nature of the job in, in an office industry, in an office base. Yep. They don't actually see, there is actually the physicality, but it's not seen. Seen a very different light. Yeah, and it's certainly not necessarily um, obvious. Commercial, commercialised in the same way as the, um, and I guess the impact can be just as damaging to an individual from you know a back and neck sort of risk because uh, I know certainly um, my husband's had back surgery as a result of being office bound, and the neurosurgeon at the time said, look, this is going to be the injury of the future because everybody's you know so many people are office bound, so um, you know. That's that's an interesting thing. So yeah, it, let's let's expand a little more on your worksafe strategy solution. So it's it's an, a multi-layered tool that includes some immersion and what else does it include? So it also includes an audit process of the workflow and the work system. Right. Okay. Um, and so you need to understand. You know, you need to understand. So you know what the business um, expectation. You know, mm -hmm. that is your manager, your supervisor, but also the individual. How they actually perform their job and how those two actually mold together. How does one use its body to perform the function is expected? So okay, that's where so that multi-layering comes. Okay, so um, an organisation, if they wanted to, just needs to have like some sort of audit process. Now, I'm imagining that that can be quite complex. So this solution that you you've got, you combine it with pieces, and you can bring it into an organisation and and make it their own. So you know, if an organisation recognises that they need something there, and perhaps their um, their current systems are inadequate or need some enhancement that somebody, there are people like yourself who can come in and, and fix those situations or streamline processes and I guess in turn um, reduce risk. 
Yes. And definitely, um, you know, help uh, in reducing premiums because, you know, the awareness and, and the minimisation of the risk. Do, does work... It's also help, you know, help them, you know, manage employees. Yeah, help absolutely. Them, uh, with their health. Yep. Um, by giving them, you know, that right infrastructure, yep. you're actually maintaining an optimum health while they're at work. So, um, work cover, I'm guessing, doesn't give you any, and I'll use the inverted finger quotation, <laughs> credits for having a system like this in place, but rather the 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 reason why organisations should be doing it is because it's A, risk management, B, it provides a safer environment for their staff, and C, by doing that, more than likely it's going to engage your staff a lot more, uh, and they're going to be less, um, uh, less uncomfortable at work, which is important because you need them to be productive. Absolutely. And we all know happy employees are productive employees. And also employees who don't, you know, experience the sort of nagging pain you know, makes them perform at an optimum level. Yeah, and I think too, sometimes people might have, you know, a little niggling injury or whatever and, and it can be hard for them to place where that injury is actually originated from, whereas when we talked about the, the manufacturing type industries, clearly if, if somebody's been hurt on a piece of equipment, it's quite obvious, but back and neck injuries, often people will minimise it by saying, oh, you know, I must have slept wrong or whatever, but in fact, you know, it could be the, the workstation set up and, um, you know, the constant um, actions of doing the same thing or twisting or, you know, that, that can be impacting. So Angelica, one of the things that I, that I know that we've talked about offline is the fact that you guys have a, um, a no-saving, no-fee policy. So if somebody wants to explore the services that you offer um, and you can't help them, they don't pay anything. How does that work? Um, the, you know, the first thing we look at you know, as part of that um, Safe Work Strategy solution is we look at the first level of risk industry category, if you recall, we discussed that. Yep. Uh, so if they're eligible for that, we, there is no savings, no fee. Essentially, we look at, they unbeknownst to them, unknowingly, they can be recategorized. Mm -hmm. If they are, we can perhaps reverse that decision for them and reduce their work cover premium and should only be paying what they should be paying. And depending on how many years they've been recategorized, we may actually get some money back for them as well. So uh, if they've been recategorised without them knowing about it and they come to you, potentially, if you can't reduce their fee, of their premium, then you don't get a fee. Absolutely. So uh, one of the other things I wanted to talk about, Angelica, because I know um, you know we're just trying to gather a whole lot of information so that we can you know give uh, some insight to HR and L&D professionals. Um, uh, we often hear about work cover assessors coming and visiting the workplace. Do they do that for manufacturing environments and sort of the office space stuff? If I can actually, this is where it's important about semantics. We talked about that earlier on about language. They're actually called work cover inspector because there's also the work cover investigator okay. and then a work cover assessor. So the from our conversation of what we've been talking about, I think you meant in here the inspector of those because you're actually alluding to all the advertisement. Yes, I yeah. Those ones were actually in the advertisement. They are called work cover inspector. Okay, they so they come functions. in. Okay, that, so the inspector would be somebody who comes around and checks an environment to see if it's safe. Is is that what they do? Absolutely. You know, do work cover inspectors actually uh, visit all all form of businesses? The answer is yes. 
they actually have a, um, a plan of action to say we'll, we'll target either a this area like Dandenong or um, Penrith. Penrith, absolutely. Yeah. Or they will actually target an industry and it may be also within uh, an industry within a particular sector of the metropolitan area or the business sector. Okay, so it might not necessarily be manufacturing, but I'm guessing traditionally manufacturing is one of those environments where they'll walk in and they're, they're more than likely to spot something rather than in a, um, an office environment, or, or am I wrong? Well, uh, interestingly, work cover inspectors do do visit office space. Wow. work businesses as well. In part is because they have seen the escalation of those musculoskeletal injuries that we talked about in an office space like the RSI occupational, the neck and the back. So do they have to give some form of notice that they're coming in? No. So they can just rock up at any they time and say, I'm coming to have they're coffee they're with you. They don't even say, hey, can I have a coffee with you? Just they'll saying. just say, you know. Okay, and well, they usually it. have to produce, I assume, some form of identification? Absolutely, yeah. and it's fairly clear, you know. Okay. They're very well-identified individuals, so in the ad... They are like that. They're yeah. very well identified, so you cannot miss them. <laughs> so generally, if they come into your organisation, you know, um, most people, you know, obviously you're not going to be expecting them, but um, is there a strategy that um, staff should be aware of, like the receptionist should know as soon as that work cover inspector, if they ever come in, this is the person that, that um, uh, we should notify? So, or it will be... You know, like you've indicated before, a lot of companies have got an allocated person already in work cover or, you know, dealing with health, occupational health and safety. It will be very good that they, under, you know, the person at the front knows who they could right. actually revert to. It is important that um, they um, engage the inspector, that they you know, participate and, uh, and answer those questions. That's interesting because I'm guessing all those sorts of Im things impact on, you know, how, a, how an inspector perceives the organisation and, uh, yeah, and their, whether or not they go, uh, the receptionist goes, oh, no, we don't have anybody that looks after that. That's probably not a good thing to be not, saying. Not a good <laughs> answer, not a very good answer. But where it also comes down where, um, you know, the HR, uh, if, if it's the HR, we know that they've got sufficient knowledge about the balance of what to say yep. and how to say it. And I guess too, what not to say. Absolutely. <laughs> but without, without not being seen... To be withholding. Absolutely, yeah. withholding information. Right. Because if they see that, they can go to the, the other layer, which is the, the full auditing process. Oh, we don't want that. <laughs> That's a bit like the tax office coming in to audit, yeah, audit stuff. But, uh, okay, so we've talked about a WorkSafe inspector, who's the person that comes in and just at, at random will come into an organisation and, and look, and they've got every right to look upon you know, once they've identified themselves. You also mentioned that there's some others. There's an assessor, and then there was a claims person. WorkCover uh, work investigator. Inve Investigator. So the investigator, I assume, investigates when a claim's been made. Yes. Okay. So that brings us back to the other one, which was a WorkSafe uh, assessor. Yeah. So that, the, the WorkSafe, you know, assessor. It's really looking at what is your risk industry. 
Okay, so that, that won't necessarily be somebody coming out. That'll be something that's happening in the background? Um, and there will actually... It's also when you're engaging a new insurance company as well. Okay, so yeah. the people that you talk to on the phone uh, could be an in-disguise um, work cover assessor to a degree. Well, when you're actually engaging into a new business, yep. there would have to be someone to assess which industry. So they don't actually discuss. So they call you know they actually work in the premium section. Right. Okay. Mm. That's interesting. Mm. Okay. So we have um, the work cover uh, inspector who comes out on site uh, randomly looks at stuff and and we know now that the receptionist should know who yeah. they need to talk to if and I, engage with them. Yeah, if I can also, the work cover inspector is actually a direct employee of WorkSafe. Oh. Okay. Work cover investigator are actually not directly engaged or they're not direct employee of uh, WorkSafe. Yep. They're actually another party that are in the panel of inspectors okay. who have met the criteria to be an inspector for and on behalf of WorkSafe. Okay, so basically WorkSafe outsource the um, the assessment process when, or the inspection process when it comes to that. Excellent. Angelica, all this is fantastic and wow, my head's just spinning from, from all the information but um, I've got one more thing I want to sort of finish up with. We often ask our listeners to let us know of any questions they might have around topics for us to put to our experts and one question that we had come in that I thought was really, really interesting is if an organisation has existed existing occupational health and safety policies, processes, etc. in their business, what sort of strategies or ideas can you offer to help uh, an organisation engage managers to take responsibility for the occupational health and safety within their own team or their own area? Um, one of the things that's you know prescribed in the law is about consultation process or consultative process. And I really would like them to, to discuss or to ask this question. What has been the consultative process that business owners or HR have actually taken on board in actually talking to their staff, engaging them in this policy? That consultation process should demonstrate the contribution of all employees in the development of these policies. Mm -hmm. So those ones were existing where you, know, you, you have a HR, a division that created this. Mm -hmm. So what is that consultative process? Therefore, they should actually know, and therefore that's where that buy-in process should have actually okay. occurred. Then, of course, the next question, if they are an existing employee and their consultative process as well was at a different level when it was developed, the first you know, when the policies was developed, and they've taken a new role that has a decision-making role like a supervisor or a team manager or a manager, what is then the consultative process okay. in that buy-in for that policy? So often what I'm thinking you might see is an organisation that has um, a traditional, whether it be a, you know, a booklet or criteria or policies and procedures around you know, handling and dealing with occupational health and safety risks and maybe when somebody starts in an organisation they give them the handbook and they go read this and it often feels like um, you know, you're just being overloaded with information if you're a new starter or you're moving into a new role, etc. So what you're suggesting is you know, perhaps that they really need to put in a bit more effort to make it more communicative and consultative 
and that if you can communicate with your team about the benefits, the what's in it for them is one of my favourite things, yes. then um, you know, you'll get them to engage. Absolutely. Which is another way for me, and I'll put it simply, is that how do they define consultative process? It's prescribed by law that you need to consult, mm-hmm. but how do they, de- how did, as the company, how do they describe and define consultative process. Okay. So it can be a whole range of things, a whole raft of tools where it could be through an e-learning, interactive e-learning, because a lot of you know companies have got that, through their induction booklet or through uh, an induction one-to-one. It's a whole range of things. Okay, and you really need to um, be conscious of the fact that this can form part of your risk if it's not dealt with correctly, um, because I'm sure we've all seen in the past, um, you know, incidents that have happened where ultimately, if there is um, a claim, they go back and they look at the processes and they try to earmark where the problem occurred or where the the, the missing link was. Correct. And what you're trying to do here is close that loop up. Absolutely. And uh, the best way to do that is is um, developing an engagement strategy, perhaps. Yes. And working out that you know just giving somebody a piece of paper and saying here's what you need to do isn't enough may not be sufficient it may be for a certain type of companies Mm -hmm. but it may not be in this instance because the culture of a particular company may not be through that you know through a paperwork distribution okay okay it all depends on that distribution okay. of communication. Okay, so look at the communication process. How's it been communicated? Could it be communicated better? And maybe look at um, if you want to revisit it and re-enhance it, could you do things like you know have um, uh, a team meeting where you have a conversation around it rather than a you shall do this sort of scenario? Mm. Yes, that's also very good. You know, Again, it's that complexity. The question is that is format of a meeting something that is conducive to the learners? That's some some great insights on how our listeners can minimise their risk and, and perhaps even explore different ways that you hadn't even thought of because sometimes we just get so stuck in the process of ticking the boxes or doing what needs to be done that you know we often um, don't have time to explore and I guess that's what the purpose of these CDs are. Um, can you train internal staff? Like if an organisation has staff that are involved in that work cover process, can you train uh, people in an organisation on what they can do to help reduce their risk and, and premiums? Oh, simple answer is absolutely, absolutely yes. It's a, you know, for me, you know, it's a process again. Yep. But what is important, I'd like to really re- reiterate, there has to be a management buy-in and commitment in the process. Because if there isn't any of that commitment, it doesn't matter how we can simplify the process, it will never work. Because I've seen it many times over where it doesn't matter how simple the process, because there's no buy-in, there's a failure in that system. So if some of our listeners wanted to get in contact with you to explore that possibility or, or just to find out a bit more information about what HR Division does and how they might be able to get some help from you, how do they go about doing that? We've got the website, www.hrdivision.com.au, but also direct uh, no, telephone number, uh, 03-9948-2401. So there's always someone there to take their phone calls for any inquiries 
or to arrange a meeting. Terrific. And Angelica, thank you so very much for your time today and for your insights on what every organisation needs to know about WorkCover to save time and reduce risk. Thank you for joining us on this Expert Insights CD. For more information on Prime Solutions training and consulting and our services, visit our website, the three W's, Prime Solutions with an S at the end, net.au. Until next time, this is Donna Hansen of Prime Solutions Training and Consulting, helping you work smarter and not harder with technology.